0: so so i usually like usually try to use uh an ipad you know to to chart music to teach from to i mean we use them back here for uh for some of the charts not necessarily to to know all the chords that are going on but i can't memorize all the lyrics in all these songs we do cuz i'm just running out of cpu i feel like is what it comes down to this uh, this week i was laughing cuz i was trying to teach i was trying to read um from from this iPad sideways, and the thing, like I don't like to sit; it makes me nervous to sit for too long. And I could not read; I could not stand and read from the iPad because my eyes were like, like. I guess they're starting. I'm becoming an old man, is what it comes down to. And I'm like, I'm only 34. Does it does it start that? <laughs> does it start that young? I'm like, well, apparently it does because I'm using paper. Welcome to 2014, and I'm okay with that. One of the things I wanted to share uh, this morning that I am, I'm grateful for is to be able to be a part of, of this church, to be able to be part of a community where we can lock arms and try to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. We can ask um, honest questions. The other part of that uh, that brings me a tremendous amount of joy is being able to do it with uh, Brent Angelos. He is my best friend. I met Brent when I was in McCall as a youth pastor. We got to um, work at the pursuit, and God allowed us to be able to Part, uh, be a part of this two years ago, and I could not ask for a, a better dude to be able to, to live life with as a follower of Jesus and just to have as a, as a friend. He loves you guys, and I have a whole new respect after taking uh, a week and not preparing music and preparing a message, a whole new respect for being able to sit underneath his teaching and really just hear straight kind of out of the Bible each week what is going on for us out of the book of Matthew. So that being said, um, we love you guys. We are grateful and proud to be able to be part of this. So as we get, I guess, and continue to go through the book of Matthew, would you allow yourself, would you put yourself in a a posture where where you would be willing to hear from God this morning? As we chew on and, and work through this different scripture and look what Jesus is trying to tell these religious leaders, would you put yourself in the same shoes as they were wearing? Or maybe the standards that you think you are living by are not really uh, the ones that God has for you, but they're your own. You've created some, some of your own. So,
1: it, yeah, I guess basically...
0: Today we're coming down to our rights. We're gonna walk through this chunk of scripture in Matthew. We're gonna wrap up chapter five. Jesus moves into uh, Matthew 5 and 21, and he begins this whole conversation with these religious leaders, saying, basically showing them the difference between God's standard and our standard. And these leaders uh, were sometimes like we find ourselves today, we're smug at times, we're arrogant, full of themselves. Sometimes we try to work out our own salvation by over-religious living. And I want to walk through just these first four uh, verses. We'll get to the rest of them later, but it picks it up in verse 38, and it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one. But if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. If you need a Bible, also just go ahead and raise your hand. The guys will give you one. But the words that Jesus drops right here basically cut to the core of who they were and who you and I are today as listeners and, and hearers of Jesus' words. Asking us to value, I guess to figure out what we value about ourselves and how we live like what do I believe what is concrete and consistent in the way I live and the way I talk and the way I walk as we get into the text some have misread it to say that we are not to oppose injustice but what it really says however, is that we should be so unselfish in the way um, that we live in the way that we trust God that we leave our vindication up to him that he is a, a good judge He's not going to forget about you. He is perfect. He is full of justice, and that way it's not left up to you to be that way. I don't have to worry about my rights because God has it covered. That I will be able to say I have no honor or property worth defending compared with the opportunity I have to show people God's great love and the love that I have for them, right? Love God and love others. By not retaliating and not coming down to the oppressor's level, we necessarily uh, can, we can appear, I guess, unrealistic to the world. How many of you have friends or family um, that view you differently because you're a follower of Jesus? You're that religious churchy, uh, religious churchy guy. You get put in that lens, and that's the way uh, that it's going to be. But that's Jesus' way. Jesus' way scorns the, world, the world's honor and appears realistic only to those who have eyes of faith. In the first passages uh, that we just read, Jesus basically sums up like, okay, don't sue each other. If someone asks for your shirt, give them your coat. If somebody slaps you, you're going to get slapped twice, so just turn the other way. If somebody begs from you, give them what you have. Be willing to give alone. And then he wraps up 40 through, 43 through 48. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But by loving others. And others being someone who you would consider uh, an enemy in our life, somebody you really struggle with, somebody who has wounded you in the past. So Jesus started this conversation with these, uh, this group of men to show them that their system is broken. When he's talking with them, he uses this little code, basically, which says, you've heard it said, which is your way. This is the way that you've created. That's your system. But I say to you, and that's God's system. There are two completely different ways of living. You've heard it said is over here and down here, but I say to you is up here and over here. You think it's enough not to kill? God says, don't even get angry. This is stuff that we've walked through in the last few weeks. You think it's enough not to commit adultery? God says, you shouldn't even think it in your heart. You think it's enough to do paperwork when you get a divorce? But God says, you shouldn't even get a divorce except for fornication. You think it's enough that you put an oath behind your word? God says, everything. You say should be true that you don't, so that you don't even have to say an oath. Let your yes be yes, right? And then Jesus starts off today with what we're talking about by saying, you think it's enough to give equal vengeance. God says you shouldn't be giving vengeance at all. The whole point was that their system was broken and substandard. John Piper said, On the basis of a system that only deals with externals, with the outside and never with the heart attitude of anger, the heart attitude of hatred, the heart attitude of adultery or the heart attitude of truthfulness and love and forgiveness. That kind of system is inadequate. Basically, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about sin. It's a sermon about you and I and these two standards that we try to live out. It reveals my brokenness and your brokenness and our need for something different, our need for a Savior. So, in verse 38, it starts off again an eye for an eye. And that never meant a person could exact vengeance directly for his own eye. It meant that one could be taken, uh, you could take the offender to court where the sentence would be executed legally. People sometimes cite this example of Jesus disagreeing with the Old Testament, but it's it's not the case. Jesus, uh, just a few verses before this, um, told the religious leaders that I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I came to fulfill it. We can see examples of them actually using that in the law in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy, where people are encouraged to, like, take your offender to court. And it was originally created to protect the person who had offended, not so that you could get your way. John MacArthur said, Jesus is not so much revoking a standard for justice as calling his followers not to make use of it. We qualify justice with mercy because we do not need to avenge our honor. Jesus calls for this humble response of faith in God. God alone is our final judge, right? He is the one who's full of justice. and We must trust him to fulfill it. But why, I guess, why do we at times want to take our own way? Why do we want to retaliate? What would you say? It's not a rhetorical question. Because it feels good? Any of you? Like, how many of you have been cut off in a car? And how many of you have want to go and possibly try to run that person off the road? Nothing wrong with that, right? Okay, what if I said this? Um, I don't get mad, I get even, right? Deep down in the human heart, we have a I want to get even kind of spirit. We want to retaliate. Our society makes heroes out of the kind of people who take... Uh, nothing from nobody. They don't put up with anyone's guff, no lip. They're strong, they're tough, they're courageous, they're macho, right? We've all seen them. You know who the one of the first person, uh, one of the first people I can remember seeing this in a movie when I was young? How many of you know who Marion Robert Morrison is? Anyone? This guy. Yeah, John Wayne, right? I would have been John Wayne too if someone named me Marion probably. My, my, my grandpa, I can remember being at his house, and he was a huge fan of uh, the Duke, right? Who else was he? Rooster? Rooster Cogburn? But this is the idea of our, in our society of seeing somebody who didn't take anything from anybody. But he was completely full of justice. He was a good guy. He stuck up for those who had no voice. But he took matters into his own hands. And our society, on the opposite end of that spectrum, looks down On the meek, they look down on the non-retaliating. They look down on the gentle, the forgiving, the gracious, the merciful person who demands nothing from anyone. We say he's a weakling and a coward, and we exalt these people who are bad and take justice into their own own hands. Basically, that's at the heart of this Jewish misunderstanding. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth means I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to give them what they're due, and that's why he is addressing. Uh, he's addressing this, guys, because that's how this rules, this law has been applied in Jesus' time. It had become a license for vengeance, a license for retaliation, a basis for vendetta, a sort of biblical permission even. Like, well, God said this, so I'm going to take care of business is what they were doing. But Jesus sums up the next five verses saying, somebody hits you in the right cheek, you give them your left. Somebody sues you, takes your shirt, give him your coat. Someone asks you to go a mile, Go two miles. If anyone needs what you have, give it to him or loan it to him. C.S. Lewis found the idea of the need for rights or the struggle to get even so true of the human heart that he used it as the basis for his argument for moral law in the universe in his book, Mere Christianity. Everyone has that in them. You have that. I. All of us in this room. Humanity has this uh, justice inside them. And I believe it's because we're made in his likeness, right? We're created in the image of God. But in the fall, because of sin, that sense of justice has become perverted into a vengeful spirit. I'm going to take care of it myself. It becomes this personal thing on the inside of us when it was never supposed to meant to be like that. It isn't so much that the idea that if a person does something wrong, I want it to be made right or uphold the law to maintain a righteous standard so that God, who made this righteous standard, can be glorified. It's because I want to get even. That's what it comes down to in our relationships. It's that perversion of moral righteousness that God has given us by creating us in his image. The Apostle Paul said, Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. In other words, Paul says, my life is about setting aside my rights. If you look at Romans 14 and 15... It says that we're not to use our liberty to make anyone stumble. This next week, read Romans 14 and 15, and you will I'm sure you've read it before. Read it again through the lens of your rights aren't your own rights, that you've been called to follow God and obey Him and love Him and love others no matter how they treat you or what they've said about you. View it through that lens this next week. Meekness, gentleness, and kindness will always trump a retaliating, vengeful, spiteful, Spirit is what Paul is trying to tell us in those two, uh, in those two chapters. So he picks it up in verse thirty-nine as he moves along in this conversation. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And like a lot of Jesus' teach, teaching, you can try to push, uh, push the illustration a little too far and see like. Well, what exactly was he meaning by this? Is he saying that if, um, I mean, basically every dude wants to know, like, so if I get punched twice, that means I can, like, I can take care of business, right? Isn't that the way it goes? No, it is not the way it goes. Jesus gives us these uh, over-exaggerated examples, right? This radical example so that we'll avoid retaliation. Not so that we explore the limits of the stories and how he uh, uses hyperbole. It's like the idea of forgiveness. Peter asks him in Matthew 18, how many times do I have to forgive someone? You know, like a, a genuine question. Peter thought he had it figured out, and he's like, how about seven times? Like, <laughs> seven times, that's a lot of forgiveness. And Jesus says, how about 70 times seven? You're missing the point. Like, it's not a cup of forgiveness, and when it runs out, you're like, oh, sorry, there's nothing left for you. It's the same idea with uh, retaliation, with being able to turn the other cheek. And culturally, I mean, even in the, in the United States, like, if somebody backhanded you, that is not awesome, right? Like, I mean, I would say most dudes would rather just get in a fight than have someone like whoosh. Like, the, it's just unacceptable. Take that, uh, that cultural example, and I think you can make it five, ten times worse in the Jewish culture. To be backhanded by somebody was an absolute affront to who you, who you are as a human being, as a Jew, it wasn't the idea that a backhanded blow to the right cheek did not imply a shattered tooth. It was the idea that I use the back of my right hand to slap your right cheek. Jesus is saying, okay, it's okay, don't worry about it because your identity isn't me. So you can go ahead and turn your face the other way. So they, when they use the left hand, it's, it's not going to matter. He's using this over-exaggerated thing and challenging us to love him more, to love God more. And his law at this point. So when, not if, our personal uh, lives, our personal dignity, dignity, our reputation is attacked. He calls us not to retaliate, but it challenges us to indulge the offender further. By freely offering the other cheek. And by that we show that we value what he thinks of us more right? I want to value what God thinks of me more because our very lives become forfeit when we start following Jesus. But there's this constant struggle in our lives. where, like, I really want my life to be about me and what I want, but I want to follow Jesus too. And That's the tension that you and I are caught in. Matthew 16, 24 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me we have no honor of our own to lose when you carry the cross of Jesus Christ. It allows us to be able to wholeheartedly say that my identity, who I truly am, is wrapped up in Him and His cross, as opposed to worrying about my reputation, what somebody has done to me, what they said about me. In verse 40, He continues, and if anyone would sue you, Take your tunic. Let him have your cloak as well. Rather than trying to get something back in court, give them what they want, is what he's signed them. Because the outer cloak uh, doubled as a poor man's bedding. Biblical law, it's actually written in uh, the Old Testament, Leviticus, that they uh, were not allowed to borrow. I don't even know why, honestly, you would take somebody's. It's like, for us, it would be an undershirt. Like the shirt you would wear under a... Um, under a coat, or not even under a coat, like under your normal long-sleeve shirt, maybe. It's like your jammies type thing. That's the way I interpreted it. And I was like, why would you loan anyone your friggin' jammies in the first place? <laughs> it's kind of what I was chewing on. But they say, just in case you did, make sure that thing's back at night, because in their culture, if you were poor, you slept on your, cl- your cloak, is what they're calling it, your coat. So they're saying, like, look, man, you can't loan out the jammies because if you're poor, you've got to sleep on your coat at night, and you're going to be sleeping buck naked. And we can't have that in our culture is what they're telling him. So he uses, again, this, like, really exaggerated example. You know what? If somebody wants your jammies, somebody wants your garment, give it to them. Give them your, your, give them your coat, too, is what he says. So how far do you take this illustration again? Well, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. Um, you can look it up later. But it comes down to basically saying, like, you are you not to sue each other as believers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can read it for yourself, but you have no place taking somebody to court. And we live in a sue-happy culture. It's probably not a matter of um, if, but just when. You or I or someone in this room is going to end up, in a situation like that where you're going to have to keep this in mind and how to conduct yourself. Jesus' point is that nothing a person can take from you or I matters in the long run. This just doesn't matter anyway. We must love our enemies and seek to turn them into our friends by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we conduct ourselves, by letting God take care of managing our rights and letting him be the one that's full of justice. As it continues in verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. And a couple different things I read this week when I was studying for this, one of my thought was unique. I mean, both of them are unique. Here he's talking about the army. One of the other ways it could have been interpreted was uh, Persia, basically, had set up the original Pony Express. They had ways to get around the entire country that were a day apart, like these stations on roads that were a day apart from each other. You were given the responsibility as a courier to get from A to B, no matter what. That was your job. And that being said, if you had a problem, if you got injured, if something happened to your horse, if you were attacked, you could conscript somebody and say, I need you to take this to Bob's house. Like, Bob has got to have this package. And you couldn't do anything about it. So needless to say, people became very aware of what road they were traveling at what time because you could avoid these guys. But Jesus is telling them here, look, the army is not when you're going to get asked or if. It is when, because the army was continually lacking money, the Roman army, to the point where it was totally common for them to come across one another and say, you, sir, are going to do this for me. They could make them work all day. They could take whatever they needed from them as Romans. and They could force them um, to do it away from their job. So he's saying, Going the extra mile represents not just submitting to unjust demands, but actually exceeding and going beyond what they expected from you as a oppressor and Being able to show that love to them and not take offense. But whether persecuted as Christians or for other reasons, you and I have the responsibility as a follower of Christ to respond with love and with kindness. When we're asked to go one mile, go two. We must resist injustice and refuse to comply with demands that compromise justice, but we must do, do so in kindness and love, not with violence and retribution. Jesus' words are asking us to consider our values. And at least on a personal level, Jesus', Jesus point is both uh, uncomfortable and difficult to, to get around. Do we have the courage to stand up for justice, yet do so without the world's weapons of violence and hatred? That's where it gets interesting. How do you do that? We can't take Jesus' teaching and conform it to the agendas of those who would advocate a violent revolution, no matter how just their cause. And I would say there are just causes in our world where we could march in and do what we needed to to stop it. But that's not what he is, um, that's not what he, he is asking But neither does it mean total passivity in the face of evil. Jesus' teaching means that we depend on God rather than human weapons. Although God may uh, sovereignly raise up humans to be his weapons and to fight oppression, which we are seeing today and some of you are part of the injustice of sex slavery, some of you are involved in that. There's plenty going on in this world that we need to be aware of that we can't turn a blind eye to. The life of Martin Luther King Jr. reminds us that the meek rarely advance their cause without paying a high personal price, even martyrdom. Yet Jesus' own life explains the meekness he prescribes. Jesus, was allowed, um, Jesus allowed people to crucify him, to beat him, trusting his father's coming, vindication to raise him from the dead, and changed everything forever for you and I, for this entire world. He proclaimed justice. He openly denounced the unjust. In Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, it says, Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is is my chosen one, who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the entire earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. Love of others not only does no harm to a neighbor, but bids us place ourselves in harm's way to protect our neighbors. And it leaves us in the middle of trying to figure out how to not falter or lose heart in the midst of being put in situations in real life where you are going to want to get even, where you're going to want uh, justice. You're going to be asked to, to go a mile when you should go too, and you don't want to go any at all. In verse 42, give to the one who begs from you, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Judaism recognized giving to beggars as a, a, a moral obligation. It was part of who they were. They were hard workers, and they gave, um, they stressed charity and a really high work ethic. One of the things that I learned this week is they were saying most of the beggars genuinely had no alternative means of income. People that uh, they would come across, and we see them in the New Testament scriptures. But Jesus says that you should take care of them. To the beggar who asks of you, give. And he doesn't even tell us how much here. So he basically places no cap on it. Jesus is asking you and I in 2014 through, uh, you know, this, through the Bible, through the Scripture, to change the way we view the poor or those who ask us to borrow. Our our vested interests must be in heaven, not here on earth. We see a great example of that in Matthew six, nineteen through twenty-one. It says, Do not store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I want to value kingdom things. I want to be part of a community of people following Jesus who do the same. And we are caught in the middle of this tension of trying to figure out how to do it consistently. At the same time, packing around old uh, old wounds, old baggage of relationships or things that were done to you that are completely out of your control. And some of us are letting those past experiences dictate how we operate and how we think and what we believe right now. I cannot value the kingdom that much. If we cannot value the kingdom that much, Jesus said that it pretty much doesn't belong to us. It's not a gray area. It's like either you are kingdom minded or you are not. We see that in Matthew 19. So the this, this first chunk of scripture, he gives them the whole, you've heard it said, right? Here's your way, but I say to you. And he slides through all this stuff that is kind of blowing, blowing their minds, I feel like. And then from the way I understand it, the way I was looking at the scripture, I feel like the next part would have even been harder for them to chew on as, as religious leaders from that day. So he goes in verse 43 and he says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus demands from them not only that we resist evil people that are assaulting um, our honor, our possessions, but we go so far as to actively love them. And these, these Jews had gotten hung up on the whole, but you've, you've heard it said, they're still over here. Like, yeah, but God hates evil. God hates our enemies. Like, where? Where does it say that? It does not say, like, yeah, God hates evil. God hates wicked um, behavior. Nowhere in the Old Testament did it say that God h- hated, um, th- that we were to hate our enemies, or that they were to hate their enemies. It was just their misinterpretation of this Old Testament scripture. And in Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So he breaks down again and says, look, here's your standard, and then corrects them. Here's what you've been doing. Here's what God is telling you. You're supposed to go beyond this little box that you put your religiosity and the way you view God. And not just love the ones who love you. You're going to love the ones who you would say are your enemies, and you need to pray for them. Which is a lot harder to do, right? How many of you could think right now in your life of a situation that is going on currently, maybe in the past where you would say, like, I have a couple enemies. Like, there's those people in my life. Are you praying for them? Or are you waiting, you know, waiting for them to get a flat tire so you can drive by and, like, honk? It's of, kind of attitude. You know, and I laugh and we laugh because it's like, man, we all can relate. Like, we all know exactly what it feels like to be to be stuck in that position. Jesus takes it a step further and appeals them even more with a positive and a negative example. In verse 45, he says, or 44, so he ends it, right? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be, in verse 45 it picks up, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And he gives them this great example of rain, basically. The Jewish teachers would have generally recognized that rain, uh, just as Jesus did, that rain uh, was a way for God to display his grace to all humanity. Because over here we have, you know, morally unjust people, morally undeserving people, and they get the same amount of rain that a, a good Jew would have, right? So they understand what is going on or what he's trying to get them to chew on. He gives them this uh, great example and then throws tax collectors in their face like, well, yeah, even a tax collector can love another tax collector. And they were the people who had been pulled out of their culture, forced by Rome to go house to house and pick up what's due. And they're skimming off the top like they did not like these people. He's calling us to be exactly like he was challenging these religious leaders. Who in your life loves you? Of course it's easy to love that person back. Who in your life do you struggle with? Who do you not want to see? this next week. Like, man, I hope I don't cross your path. You know, do you work with somebody every time you walk by you want to drop something in their coffee kind of relationship? Jesus said it's not enough to just love those who love you. He demands that we be perfect like God. And he wraps the whole thing up with verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is imploring them And today, you and I, for us to desire God's will so much that we seek to please him in every area of our life. We don't compartmentalize the way we live or the way we follow Jesus. God has made himself and his ways known through scripture. I don't know how many times I've had the conversation uh, since I've been a follower of Jesus with people who wish they knew the will of God. I just wish I knew the will of God. You want to know the will of God? Read the Bible. Because it's in there. And I understand if you're hung up like, should I move? Should I move here? Should I move there? Yeah, I, I can understand. That's a valid argument. But generally speaking, you want to know the will of God? You want to know what Jesus has asked us to do? How he wants us to live? And how he wants us to conduct ourselves? You have to read. You have to know. This is our line of communication with him. In prayer, obviously. But we are called to seek holiness. Jesus said that God's, God's law was never about rules. But that's what they turned it into. Instead, God desires a a complete and total devotion of our heart and our desires to God's purposes in the world. And all of us, myself included, I can be a better reflection of God's character. Where in your life right now would you say you need to give up your rights? Or you have somebody who you would call uh, an enemy Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody at school. Someone you're, you're, uh, you share a dorm with. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. You need to bring this stuff forward. and Recognize God is calling us to live differently, to think differently, to talk differently. He's asking us to change what we value. So you've heard it said over here. It's our way, right? The religious way. But I tell you. I want to pray for us, and I want to challenge uh, you and myself to really examine ourselves as we continue to, to, to march day after day, trying to figure out what it means to to look and model our lives after Jesus. And each time we go through a chunk of the scripture, would God, I guess, would you allow God to bring something forward? And you would hear him. You wouldn't ignore it. You wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't leave this place and be like, Man, I'm glad that's over. Like, this stuff gets old listening to. You. It sounds hard. It is hard. Following Jesus, I wholeheartedly believe, is the only true way to find joy in life. The whole idea of the mere Christianity, right? C.S. Lewis brings up the either acknowledge Jesus as Lord, lunatic, or liar. You can work through each one of those three things, and you're going to find out he's Lord because he did. he did what he said he did. He lived a life, and he came and gave his life for you and I as a perfect uh, example. He let us nail him to the cross. You and I were a part of that. And he rose from the dead three days later and changed everything forever. So you and I can acknowledge him as a leader, as our forgiver, as our Lord. The idea of being able to say yes, sir, to him. And if you haven't done that this morning... I, I'm glad you're here. We're all in this together. But I would ask you, what, do you, what more do you need to hear before you would say, I want, I, want to, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know what this is about. That's why we are all here. And I would challenge you guys to be able to do this together, to ask the hard questions that you need to. That you would be honest with one another. That you would lock arms and figure out what it truly does mean to live in community. Let me pray God, I am, uh, I don't have all this figured out, and I thank you that you are gracious, God, to us. You allow us to continue to walk with you, even though we stumble, even though at times we want to have our rights, we want to make white, right what has been wronged in our life. God, I want to take a step back and make sure that I allow you to be the one who's full of justice, God, knowing that you have not uh, forgot about me. You've not forgot about any of us. You know each of us by name. You know uh, the desires of our heart, God. You know that you, uh, and we know that you are for us. You are for our relationships, for our marriages. And you're for us being and modeling our lives after your son, Jesus. So as we take uh, one more step this day, would you meet us and help us to be able to take an, another step, God, this week, acknowledging you as, as uh, our, our merciful, God, our, our kind, our looking after us, God, who sent his son as an example for us, God, and as a sacrifice. So help us to look more like him uh, this week than we did last week. I pray he sings your name. Amen.